on weeknights from 6 on 2FM and a very good evening from Damien Amara. You are most welcome to the Thursday edition of Game On. Underway between now and 7 o'clock, an hour of good sporting chat to come. Uh, shortly, we will be hearing from some of the key men involved in the Rugby World Cup semi-finals this weekend. The four teams uh, for those games named. Argentina facing New Zealand tomorrow evening. England facing South Africa on Saturday. We're going to hear from uh, some of the protagonists in just a moment. Uh, we'll have Shep with us for our weekly look at American sports. Rebecca Cray will be in studio to chat with women's football plenty to reflect upon and squad for Eileen Gleeson a league title for Piemount and a place for Rebecca's beloved Shelburne in the women's FAI Cup final so all of that to come we're also going to hear from uh, Irish sprinter Charlene Maudsley on what has been a fantastic year for her personally and uh, a brilliant year across the board for Irish athletics you can text us our number is 51552 or you can get us on social media our handle at GameOn2FM <laughs> So you're very welcome to the programme. A lot to come between now and seven o'clock. A um, couple of interesting stories of note uh, going on in sport. Uh, UEFA have confirmed that Belgium's Euro 2024 qualifier, uh, which they played at home to Sweden, will be counted as a one-all draw after that match on Monday was suspended. Um, it followed the very tragic and fatal shooting of two Swedes in Brussels earlier in the day. Uh, UEFA have said its executive committee has ruled that the match would not be replayed and the score would stand as it was with each team uh, awarded a point. The Brazilian forward Neymar is to undergo surgery after rupturing the anterior cruciate ligament and the meniscus in his left knee during Tuesday's World Cup qualifier uh, against Uruguay. The GA is to investigate the events surrounding the change of referee at last Sunday's Down County final between Kilku and Burren. Uh, Down GA has made a request to the GA's Director General Tom Ryan for the association to conduct an inv- independent review and the association has agreed to do so. If you've been following that, there was quite a furore around the appointment of the match referee and an appeal from Kilku, which went all the way to the DRA. Uh, the management of the Irish women's rugby team have made three changes for Saturday's WXV match against Colombia in Dubai. There's a brand new half-back partnership. Nicole Fowley at out half, Avian Riley at scrum half. Uh, Ingrid Corrie also comes in to the team. In the second row, Ireland looking to build on what was a record-breaking win on the opening weekend. Uh, attention for an awful lot of people will be on events in Paris and the two semi-finals of the Rugby World Cup if it's not too soon to talk about that in light of Ireland's departure from the tournament um, last weekend. We've Argentina against New Zealand to come um, tomorrow night. The big team news from uh, that game, Argentina making one change uh, for the game at the Stade de France. Gonzalo Bertrano comes back in replacing Thomas Cabelli at scrum half. Seven players remain in the Argentina squad from the side that reached the semi-finals back in 2015. So there's uh, quite a testament to longevity there. Captain uh, Julian Montoya and replacement fly half Nicolas Sanchez uh, amongst those players who um, featured in what was a very, very historic game for them. From an All Blacks perspective, uh, winger Mark Tillet is back in the New Zealand side after being dropped for the quarterfinal victory over uh, Ireland because of a breach of team protocol. The only other change sees Sam Whitelock uh, come into the second row. We're going to hear from uh, New Zealand's Aaron Smith in just a moment. But first, a man very familiar to rugby fans on this uh, island, Michael Checker, the Argentine head coach, who's been reflecting today on their Rugby World Cup campaign to date. Um, I know a lot of the guys uh, you've coached and they all talk about your unique way to inspire and motivate the groups you're part of. Can you give us any insight into what that inspirational motivation looks like this week as you lead into this, this all-black team? 
Look, um, I, I don't think in, in this weekend, don't think there's much motivation required. You know, I think it's more maybe a bit of, you know, telling a story as to why we why we're a chance, like why we can be in there and believe, you know, building more belief in ourselves. It's something that we've been working on hard and trying to get players to believe in a winning mentality, you know, and understand what's required to have that. And this is really learning on the job here in the World Cup for a lot of the lads. Like, they've been, you know, maybe the first game we didn't handle it too well and then we, we sort of got a handle on it better. Julian's done a great job with the team in that regard. So, yeah, it's part of it, and and uh, it, it's definitely a different challenge trying to do it in, in another language as well. But uh, I love doing that stuff, and especially the guys here, they're so open to new ideas and, and new things. It's really quite rewarding in that regard, yeah. So that's Michael Checa, Argentina, of course, who finished second in Pool D of the competition and then uh, banished Wales 29-17 last weekend. So they're... Um, prize for that is the challenge of facing New Zealand who obviously beat Ireland by 28 points to 24 last weekend and the New Zealand scrum half Aaron Smith has been reflecting on that victory for the All Blacks. As I said on uh, Saturday night, that was the proudest All Black performance I've been a part of. Um, the build up, the emotion and, and the game, the spectacle itself and felt like the game went for about two days and the second half felt like forever and but it was so much fun and intensity and just two teams not giving up and and our boys to really stay in it, um, really control that last 10 minutes was the most proud point. And then to defend 37 phases, stay on side, not give away a penalty, not give them another opportunity and um, for one of our senior players to nail the last moment was pretty special. And, um, then you look at the other quarterfinal, what a game as well. So um, that's the beauty of this World Cup. It's been a spectacle the whole way. The French public, the French stadiums, the weather. Uh, as a player, you can't, um, you appreciate so much about what's gone into this tournament and to be still a part of it is just such a blessing. And as players, it's your opportunity to make sure you prepare and give it absolutely everything each day to when you get a chance to play. And we're lucky enough to have another opportunity this weekend. And we want to be better than we were last week. Aaron, um, you mentioned last weekend, the highs of last weekend. How do you come back down and then go back up again? How, how big a challenge is that? Yeah, I think um, you've just got to look at it in the face and go, yep, yeah, that's, that's, we took that step. But um, I'm an emotional person. Uh, I, I use things to fuel me, and um, I remember being in the same position four years ago, and we didn't get it right that night. And this opportunity, that messaging this week around taking the learnings. But I think personally for me, um, going into this game, I want to really um, start better. My execution was off for a good chunk of that game. And I cost our team dearly with um, a yellow card and my first two passes found no one. So personally, I'm just trying to make sure um, I can execute my role for the team. And I think in the second half, I was able to do that, just do my job, um, trust my instincts and um, play. So using those energy and the lessons of 
four years ago and just trying to make sure on Friday night um, I'm in a position to execute my role as best as I can. So that's uh, Aaron Smith chatting in advance of Argentina against New Zealand tomorrow evening at uh, 8 o'clock. So Saturday evening at the same time sees England uh, face South Africa in the second of the semi-finals. Freddie Stewart, Joe Marler uh, and George Martin coming into the England team. Uh, Marcus Smith um, drops out, as does Ollie Chesham, as does Ellis Genge. Uh, South Africa, it's interesting, the... Um, kind of the way Razi Erasmus and Jacques Nene, but Razi Erasmus in particular has gone about his media over the course of the week, talked at great length early in the week about the potential changes they would make and how players were challenging to make their way into the starting lineup. Names his team today completely unchanged from the team that played against France last weekend. We'll hear from Jacques Nienaber in just a moment, but first Steve Borthwick, the England head coach, on his three changes for their game in the Final Four. As ever, I go through the selection process and the rigour that I put to that in terms of how we wish to play, what we need to do, the strengths, um, the opposition, the opportunities on the pitch, um, assess all the players, cognizant of the travel we've had, the the six-day turnaround and what we needed to do. And I think we're blessed here with a, a fantastic group of players. That's England who find themselves in a Rugby World Cup semi-final. They'll face the hosts, South Africa, and their head coach, Jacques Nienaber, has been chatting today about the physicality of the tournament. You've had some really physical games, Ireland and France. Uh, how will that impact on this game? Do you think it'll have impact? Are you, are you comfortable with your team? And the second part, in what aspects will England challenge you that Ireland and France didn't challenge you? What aspects of the game? Yeah, in terms of the physicality, like I've mentioned last week, um, the World Cup's actually, uh, uh, the duration of the World Cup is actually a long tournament. So that's why we went with the mentality of rotating. So uh, if you think about it, uh, the majority of the, the group that, that played in the quarterfinal played against Ireland. So, and and um, if you talk about physicality, I think that Tonga game was probably one of the most physical games that, that our players told us they played in. Uh, so, so I think uh, so. In terms of a physicality point of view, the one group got nicely exposed to it against uh, uh, Ireland, and then the following week, the other group or the other part of our squad got exposure to it in the in the Tonga game. Um, and so, physicality is like any any conditioning component. You have to you have to get used to it. You have to condition yourself for it. So. Um, I think in that, from that point of view, uh, it put us up nicely for for the game against France. And obviously, the French game was was physical. Uh, but like I said, listen, it wasn't. Uh, we we went out. You know our policy in terms of training. If you can't train on Monday, you can't play. So everybody was was good and ready, and they could train. So there wasn't any medical issues. So from a physical point of view, we got a nice stimulus from a physical point of view uh, um, uh, against France, and and we will. That exposure, we'll need that experience going into England because I think it will be the same like Sia mentioned now. Uh, if you look at their performances and their build-up during this competition, uh, they 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 improving every single game. They're getting better. Um, and then where do I think they're going to challenge us? Um, yeah, like any team, I think, uh, like I've mentioned last time uh, with with the French team, they've got... Uh, they, they got a unique kicking game that they employ. The same with um, with um, 
with the English team, I think they're a team that's comfortable not playing with the ball. I think if you look at them, I think they're the team that kick the most um, and they like to suffocate and strangle you, kick the ball in your half and wait for you to make, apply pressure there and wait for you to make a mistake. So we, from a tactical point of view, we know what's coming our way and we must just make sure that we execute on the day. That is Jacques Nienaber, uh, the head coach of the defending champions, South Africa, in advance uh, of that semi-final, which takes place in Paris this weekend. Much more on those games to come on the programme tomorrow evening. A lot more still to come. We are going to hear uh, from Shep on All Matters NFL in particular and the emergence of flag football to the Olympics which is kind of akin to if Ireland was to get the Olympics and we decided to put hurling in as a sport. The Americans in advance of LA are obviously trying to do themselves uh, somewhat of a favour. We've Rebecca Cray to come on the week's uh, women's soccer stories. And after the break, we're going to hear from Irish sprinter Charlene Maudsley. Stay with us. Andrew, very welcome back to the programme. So Shep and Rebecca to come. We're going to focus on uh, athletics next. And we were chatting off air before the programme. We're, we're getting dangerously close to that time of the year when we're going to start reflecting on what 2023 has been uh, in sport. And obviously there will be the Women's World Cup to reflect upon. There'll be the Men's Rugby World Cup, the GAA Championships. But when we look at uh, sports that have had particularly positive and bountiful years, athletics is going to stand head and shoulders above uh, many of the others. And one lady who's had a phenomenal 2023 uh, culminating in the World Championships in Budapest a couple of weeks back is Charlene Maudsley. I had the opportunity uh, to chat to her recently and we, we started by talking about what 2023 has been not just for the sport but for her personally. National records, uh, world finals, PBs, a really phenomenal 2023 and how has the year delivered on what it was she might have expected upon when she set out back in January? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. Um I definitely knew that I had trained hard, you know, I'd put in the work, but I suppose I never really looked at what goals I wanted to achieve this year because I just wanted to take it day by day. I've often kind of got caught up in looking too far ahead and, you know, I've been really disappointed. But when I did look back on the season I had, like it was probably the first season ever that I actually was really proud of myself and, you know, really proud of putting myself forward and trusting everything. So, yeah, I just, I think this year was definitely the stepping stone for me. So hopefully I continue that on next year. Yeah, is it fair to describe it as a breakthrough year? Yeah, definitely. I think it was the year that I kind of trusted myself. Um, I've often kind of went to competitions before and I was nearly beat before I even stepped on the starting line. Just, you know, thinking other girls were better than me just because of what time they've run before. But this year I kind of stepped on the starting line and I was like, okay, it's just, it's a fair playing field. I deserve to be here. And yeah, I definitely think it was definitely a breakthrough year. Is that something you've sought assistance with? Because obviously the, like the psychology plays such an important role, particularly in a situation where success and failure is determined in less than 60 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Like it wasn't that this happened overnight, you know, it was, it was a full year of working with, my sports psychologist, my coach, my strength and conditioning coach and my physio, like, you know, it takes a whole team for me to have actually started to believe in myself, you know, especially the sports psychology. It was something that I never thought I needed. I was, I'm a very stubborn person. So I was like, no, I don't need that. I can get by myself. But once I started working with my sports psychologist, Joanne, this year, it really made me see that there was, 
you know, there's more to sport as well, but there's also ways of coping in high pressure situations. And that's definitely something I learned this year. But it is such a strange scenario. Like, and, and you know, I'm always fascinated looking at the pictures behind the scenes, say, of the Diamond League and they're looking at the call rooms or the Olympics. And like, you can get very overawed because you find yourself in situations like this year in Budapest where you're looking around and, and suddenly you're competing against people you would have studied on television and would have, in some circumstances, grown up watching. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's what I had to learn this year is that I'm in the call room with these girls. And, you know, I've made the mistake before of looking at them being like, oh, I'm, oh my gosh, like, look at that girl. And, you know, I know her, what time she's ran, what she's achieved. And that's where I kind of had to stop and be like, okay, well, I deserve to be here as well. Like, I'm never going to get better if I don't believe in myself. So... I just had to start putting myself first. And is there almost like a race or a meet this year that you can kind of say, yeah, the, the penny finally dropped? Or is it kind of a cumulative thing over the course of the year in terms of just banking those experiences and, and those building blocks to realise, you know, listen, they might be the world's best, but I'm more than capable of matching it with them? Yeah, there was one race um, I ran in. It was FBK Games. It's like a gold um, tour. And I was racing Femke Ball and she was in the lane inside me. So I was just waiting for her to come up and like pass me out because of course you expect her to do so. She's a world indoor record holder. Um, and then once she came up to me at I think about 220 meters, I just kind of let her go. And then I had ran like my slowest time of the year that race, but I learned so much from it. I remember, you know, even walking in the mix zone and called in he asked me like you know what was up next and I had a race two days later and then I think on that race in FBK around 52 14 and then two days later around 51 34 so it just that one race made me click like okay well I wasn't that tired like why can I not go with Femka for a bit longer mm. you know things like that so, so that was definitely a race that made me think so yeah. then in Budapest and, and to be fair I'm going to take all the credit from Greg Allen who tweeted a graphic I don't know if you're if you're aware of this Greg tweeted a mm. brilliant graphic after the 4x400 metres relay final and Femke mm. obviously world champion ran the fastest leg of that final the only other athlete faster on leg 4 was you so, yeah. so, so, like, she's is she a barometer for you, or is it just a case of, well, if I can match it with the world champion, I can match it with anybody? Yeah, like, Femke's obviously an unreal athlete, you know, um, and there's so many girls that is, but I just have to start, I think the confidence that I ran, I ran 49.60 on that relay leg, and then I had one race left for the season, and I was like, 49.60, if I had just a second for blocks, like, surely I can be running 50.6. You know, like, it's it's just, you don't even need to add that much to blocks, you know. I think I'm just really bad at them, but I just need to get that out of my head. And then I ran a PB on my last race of the season when, where I was so unmotivated. Hmm. And I was just, like, I think half a meter behind um, Candice McLeod, who was um, in the world final. So that's really given me a big step to think, okay, once I actually believe in myself, you know, I think the relays definitely helped me in Budapest to see my my true potential. Have you far more metres and miles under the belt this year than you would have expected in, in January? Because it, it seems to me you're never not in action. <laughs> yeah, this year it kind of, it just happened that I started to get into better races and you know, it's hard to turn up the opportunity for these because you're you're gathering ranking points, um, you know, which help towards World Championships this year and which help towards the Olympic next year. 
So it's things like that that kind of keep you going. But there was like a five week gap, I think I took um, and just trained before nationals because I had raced a lot and, you know, your body, it gets tired, you know, it gets fatigued and then there's more pressure on it and you're at a higher risk of injury. So once I did that, I felt like I could go again for the second half of the season. Mm. Of course, that wasn't the plan at the start of the season. We were just going to do one or two races here and there, you know, like see how I'm getting on. But yeah, I was running well. So we just said, keep throwing me into them. <laughs> yeah, because well, Budapest felt particularly f- like frantic. Was it with six races in nine days and, you know, some very significant performances in the midst of it that uh, uh, I'm getting the sense there's the combination of adrenaline form and a hunger to compete at that level kind of gets you through the intensity of a week like that yeah for me I think on my first race I had split 50.14 which was the fastest I'd ever ran um in really or individually or anything and I was like wow that like that was fast and you know people were saying you ran 50.1 and then we had the final later that evening and then I ran 50.02 And then I had my individual the next day and I was just excited because, you know, the adrenaline of having been in the world final, we came sixth. It was amazing. We were all delighted. I think I had like two hours sleep and then I had to get up and go again the next morning. And then I was in um, the hot seat. So I had qualified in fourth place. And so I was waiting around to see if I was going to qualify for the semifinals. And then I did. And I was like, oh, how am I going to go again? (laughs) Because it was the next day. But then... Yeah, it just the semi final was tough. You know, I don't think I ran to my t- true potential, but it's just something that I had to learn from. And then we had the women's relay, and you know, we weren't we weren't meant to qualify into the final. You know, it was we kind of defied the odds by qualifying, which was amazing. The support we had was unreal. And in that relay, like I split fifty point zero one, so I'm always edging towards that sub fifty split. So then when it came to the final, you know, it was going to be my sixth run, but I was just give it everything. Just try to get under sub 50, like how amazing that would be. You know, I was just telling myself the confidence it would bring me. And then we finished and the spits didn't come out. (laughs) They didn't come out for like two days, I think. So I was like, it was constantly a waiting game. (laughs) Which it's amazing how on the face of it, something that can be quite small, seems to irritate athletes so much like I, I have a very vivid recollection of being in the mix zone on the last day of the Euros in Munich and Rashida losing it because they couldn't get the split times on the screen and it, it like it is I suppose it's 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 that intensity of getting yourself in the zone getting yourself ready doing what it is you've built yourself up to do and then realistically not having an idea of how you've done because those all important splits. So you you have to be a data junkie really, don't you? Yeah, and I guess that's where it comes from the individual sport. Like, you know, we're all individual athletes coming together in a relay, but at the end of the day, you want to see individually how well you did. (laughs) Well, but that's, yeah, because you're ultimately testing yourself against yourself, aren't you? At its core. It's all about what's what's the PB? What did I run yesterday? Like, it's everything is relative to what you have done and then the relay is the sum of the parts. Exactly, absolutely. And it's great to come together at a relay, you know. Uh, it was different for me this time kind of experience in a relay at the start of the championship. It was the first time that I had ever kind of ran a relay before my individual. But I'd do it all over again. Like if it was again this time next year and they say that it's that's how the timetable is before the Olympics, I'd happily do it because I think it gave me so much confidence. It, it kind of um, took away my nerves as well, I think, because I was like, okay, well, we've got to a world final now. Anything I achieve now is just a bonus. Mm. I know that 
I'm I'm always fascinated by like we talk about Team Ireland say in advance of Paris next year, and in reality it's it's a fairly false construct because you compete on your own for so many weeks of the year, or you're like ships passing in the night, meeting each other maybe fleetingly at certain meetings. But when we look at what has happened for the green singlet in athletics over the course of the last couple of years, like that rising tide has lifted all boats because you all want to be part of what is this unbelievable peak in Irish athletics at the moment. It, like you are driven on by the success of others as much as they are by your success. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was only in Budapest that I realised how big it had become because we were in the stadium and like the cheer you got when it came on, the camera came on to an Irish person was just unreal. And like I was walking around Budapest, like just around the town, city centre, and people would come up to me being like, oh, I'm from Ireland. And I was like, this is mad. Like it just felt like you were at home. The commentator one day had actually said um, that there's no Irish left in Ireland mm. <laughs> at one point. So, like, it's just knowing that how big it's gotten is great. And it's it's absolutely unreal that you can be in Ireland now and race these girls and you have unreal competition. You know, you're not having to go abroad to look for it. Maybe the weather, but not, yeah. not the competition. But, but there is that bit of taking pride in the success of others. But equally, we're all egotists at heart. And, you know, everybody wants to get their little bit of the attention. So, you know, you, you, there is a competitiveness that is needed at the core of it all as well. Yeah, there is. But, you know, I think that's what drives us on. Like, we're all competitive. We're all hungry. So I think that's definitely what will make us succeed as a team in the coming years. Mm. Are all eyes on Paris? Like, I'm sure, is every conversation you have at this stage already talking about Paris next year? Um, I think some people avoid speaking to me about it, to be honest. Um, But, like, for me, it's just taken one day at a time. I've Mm. already qualified for the European Championships, which are in Rome, which will be before the Olympics. So I think that's actually taken a lot of pressure off of me because regardless of what happens next year, I'll be going to major championships. But of course, like it's no secret that Paris is where I want to be. It's, you know, it's an Olympic year, but I don't want to just go for the relay. I want to be going individually mm. now. And I think that's not an unrealistic um, goal. So yeah, it's just taking one day at a time and running as fast as I can. And hopefully that gets me there. But doing so with a massive foundation in place and, you know, belief probably stronger personally than it's ever been. Yeah, definitely. My confidence is definitely there, but you know, my two feet are still on the ground. I still have to put in all the hard work. It does it doesn't just come to you. So I think I've a really exciting year ahead. Yeah. What's been the key to it in terms of, of where athletics has gone for Ireland in recent years? Because it's, it's, you know, obviously at Athletics Ireland and the high performance aspect of things, that there's been a stream streamlining and the support structure that's in place. But we look across the country and you hear anecdotally that like athletics clubs are bursting at the seams in terms of young kids that are trying to take part. Like it's it just seems to be it's it's the sport everybody wants to be a part of. Yeah, and I think that's great because I think for so long athletics wasn't a big sport in Ireland. But I think, you know, now that you can see like, you know, the likes of Kira McGeehan and Mark English who have won medals for us and, you know, Thomas Barron Rashida, like these people, it doesn't, Ireland is a small country, but we're putting ourselves on the map. And I think that it makes it like an opportunity that this isn't unrealistic. Why can't I do it? Because that's how I feel. So I think maybe younger athletes are also thinking the same way, which is really good. And like parents are obviously following it as well. And they're probably putting their kids into athletics. And I feel like everyone starts out with running. Mm. (laughs) 
you know so and then that builds them to whatever they're going to do when they're older were, were you a multi-sport kid like I, I you know like it's I'm sure there was there must have been a camogie stick in your hand at some stage if you're from Newport you know like it's or was was athletics always the great love <laughs> Yeah, absolutely not. I am just not a team player. <laughs> when it comes to relays, that's about it. But no, I was just never really good at team sports. So I think my mom brought me down to the athletics track, or we don't have an athletics track, to the running field at this school. And firstly, I was too young and I started crying. So she brought me back the next year and I've just been doing it ever since. Brilliant. I was never always good. Like, don't get me wrong. I was pretty bad. And she was like, I'm not bringing you here anymore because she was freezing, standing up for hours waiting for me. <laughs> oh, we've all been that soldier. We've, you know, we've all been that soldier, you know, and yes, yeah, we've, we've had those conversations in our house as well, but you know, this, this is not the platform to, to chat about it. Um, is there a bit of, like, there's never really downtime because you have to keep yourself at a certain level, but can you, can athletics take a bit of a backseat step for you at the minute or, you know, where, where's, um, where's your head at? I just finished my break, so I had four weeks off of doing nothing, just away from athletics, just have that mental and physical break, and I just started back training this week, but it's a busy week, of course, I would have to start on my busiest week, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I love being back, I love putting my body through the paces and seeing what it can, what it can do, so I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, um, and obviously, there, I've never spoken to an athlete who doesn't see, when you analyse you know, start times, reaction times, you analyse stride patterns, you analyse everything else, you will always identify areas for improvement and areas that you look at and say, you know, there's there's another couple of milliseconds I can comfortably take away here and there. Yeah, like I'm, it's just more so I'm kind of the athlete who doesn't want to know anything. Like I'll leave it to my coaches to be like, okay, what does she need to improve on? But I just came out of the gym with my S&C coach and she already told me one thing that I need to improve. And I was like, okay, well, that was quick. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, there's always a team that's like, I have a great team around me and a great support network and they're always able to push me on and tell me what I need to improve on. That's akin to going back to the first day of school and getting given an essay or a project or something to do. It's just like, that's no. Like do, do these today. do these people have no empathy in terms of just easing you back into things? Anyway, um, Charlene, it's been a great pleasure to chat to you. Um, I, I was going to say enjoy pre-season, but I don't think there's any sports person <laughs> at all who does. So listen, I, I wish you well with the hard work over Thank the you. the next couple of weeks. And listen, we look forward to to following the next chapter in 2024. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. That's Charlie Maudsley uh, chatting to us recently in her role as an ambassador for the food chain Sambrero, who recently recently hosted their second annual meal packing event, which was in support of World Hunger Day. We've got a text in. Congratulate Charlie on her phenomenal endeavours at the championships this year. What an unselfish act to run uh, two by 400 metres relays before your 400 individual event, then to go and run a PB and qualify, then to run two more 400s in another relay event at the end of the week, to run competitively in six 400s at World level in one week says an awful lot about her character uh, and uh, that texter that unnamed that texter who signs off as an amateur 400 metres runner uh, sending their good wishes to Charlene so we will add to that and to everyone involved in Irish athletics over the course of the year we're going to go to the States and chat to Shep after this stay with us Game on Eye on America and you're welcome back to the programme let's go to New Orleans Shep how are you? I'm doing great, Damien. How you doing? Buddy? I'm not too bad. Are we? Are you in New Orleans? Are you on the road? I understand you're NFL bound. Yes, uh, I am a Saints season ticket holder, and we're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars tonight. So uh, I have pulled over and am safely speaking 
to my friend Damien. Well, no, well, listen, you're you're so kind. Um, how do we assess the start? To what are we? Uh, the Saints are on a a three three record. So is it a is it a right. sustainable start to the NFL season, or would it be slightly below par after those opening couple of rounds of games? So offensively, it would be below par. Defensively, um, you know they've been phenomenal. Actually, I mean, the, you know they're they're giving up about ballpark about 20 points a game maybe a little less than that and they're scoring about 20 points a game maybe a little less than that so um it's nothing but ugly nail biters you Mm. know so uh that's just kind of where we've been um you know they'll win a game lose a game win a game lose a game so short week this week the jaguars played two games in a row in london uh and then they came back and they beat the colts last sunday i you know trevor lawrence the good quarterback for the jags has been injured we expect him to play I'm anticipating another close nail-biter football game tonight. Mm. I, I I didn't make it to well I, to be honest with you I don't I, if you found me in White Hart Lane at the weekend or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as it is now there'd be something seriously wrong but the amount of people from this island who flocked to London last weekend to watch that like it has become such a key part of the I won't even say the expansion of the NFL because it doesn't need you know it doesn't need an injection of interest across the world but it is going to become such a bigger part of the regular season for so many teams including you know I, I don't think we're a million miles away from seeing an NFL game in Dublin. No, I don't think so at all, Damien. I mean, they're, they're playing another game in uh, Germany in a couple of weeks. I believe the Patriots are going to be playing over there, and I know they played a game there last year. Um, you know, they have they've gone up about it very wisely, in my opinion. You know, with with the the games in London, because not only you know at, at first it was all games in Wembley Stadium. Well, now they've gotten Tottenham to build that other stadium. And so you can play in a venue that seats 35, 40,000 people, I, b- I believe is about where that, that mm. smaller stadium sits, as opposed to having to have 85,000 people at Wembley Stadium or whatever it is. And so you can play back-to-back games like they did this year and have sellouts in both of those games. And, and you can get a team like the Jaguars to spend two weeks over there and really – you know, for lack of a better term, become are they becoming London's team? I'm not exactly sure yet, you know, but they have shown the most interest in wanting to play games in London, and I think that's part of it. I, I, again, we keep talking about this, but are we five years, are we 10 years, are we 15 years away from having a team in London? I, we're closer, I think, than we are, than we've ever been. I just don't know when they're going to make that decision. Yeah, and like obviously the Steelers have taken out the marketing rights for Ireland. Like e- even there's, sure. th- they play the Cleveland Browns on the 19th of November and there's a watch party in Crow Park. So you can go to the stadium and <laughs> watch it. So And obviously the Rooney family with the connection with um, Ireland and the ambassadors sure. roll over the years. Um, right. And listen, London would fit perfectly because it's obviously the easiest flight to a very well populated city. And with Heathrow and everything else, it's such a gateway to the world that people can travel from uh, from all over the way. So are, are you travelling to the game today with an hope rather than expectation or does it make any difference whatsoever? No, no. I mean, I mean, I, I think, look, there. This again, the Saints are at home. I mean, there's an op- there's an opportunity to win. The Jags are going to make the playoffs. I mean, they're probably the probably the best team in their division in the AFC South. So this would be a good win on a short week. And, you know, this is one of those things, Damien, you win this game, you're, you know, you're off this Sunday, you don't play again until the following week. I mean, hmm. you got, you know, 10, 11 days to kind of enjoy the win. You lose, man, you got to sit on that for a long time. 
yeah, which we've all had to suffer that ignominy over the years. So I know that's like, I'm, I was joking at the top of the programme uh, about flag football. So flag football coming into the Olympics in LA in 2028 is akin yeah. to us bringing hurling into the Olympics if we were to ever get the opportunity to host the games here. So for the uninitiated, um, like flag football is effectively the NFL's version of tag rugby. You wear two things on your belt and instead uh, of instead of yeah. creasing someone to the turf, you try and take the flag off their belt. So, But th- there seems to be quite a lot of interest amongst this this is effectively going to mirror the dream team in basketball because there's quite a lot of NFL players have already expressed an interest in becoming Olympians in a couple of years time yeah I couldn't have said it any better myself team I and mean, that's exactly what I thought of when I when I read you know Tyree Kill's statement and some of the other players and it it, it lines up you know uh, theoretically the summer Olympics are played in the summer and so um you know that's when the football season, you know, isn't in the middle of their season. And so it kind of works out perfectly where you wouldn't have to disrupt, you know, like you have to do in the NHL uh, sometimes when, you know, when you get to the winter Olympics. So, yeah, I I mean, and you're right. I mean, you would think that the Americans would have an advantage, but you know, we, you know, there's athletes all over the world. So, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if there's some good football, you know, teams being played uh, in other countries as well, but yes, they're looking at, you know, it's going to be brought in in 2028 and the NFL is now going to work on figuring out, with the players' union, how do we get it to where we can have some professionals play? But the, the thing that struck me as interesting is, like, I, I've seen people on trips to Chicago play this in parks, and it's always struck me as yeah. recreational rather than, like, I yeah. think is, I'm right in saying there's a semi-professional women's league, there's plans for a professional men's league, but it is it is a more unusual sport to see introduced into the Olympics based on the point at which it is starting at in terms of popularity and yeah, accessibility. Well, I mean, uh, I'll just be honest with you. When I think of flag football, I think of six-year-olds playing football. <laughs> you know, it's it, before before you get into tackle and, um, you know, you want to get out there and you want to kind of get them outside and they start to learn the fundamentals of the game and you have a blocker. Or you think of college intramurals. I mean, that's the last time I played flag football, you know, all the way back in the 1900s. And we were more concerned with the, you know, post-game shenanigans than we were really what was going on on the field. So, um you know, my my fear would be, you know, you'd get guy who takes it too serious. You know, now if it's NFL players, I mean, look, uh, they'll be good. But then there's the whole thing of does somebody get hurt mm. in the Olympics? And then there's, you know, what I'm saying. I mean, there's all that stuff that you kind of have to take into. Which again, you have to do that in Major League Baseball with the World, Cl- you know, the World Classic and you know all of that stuff. So I mean, I, you, you know. Yeah, well, listen. But before, like, before you guys put your NFL players in, we'll find a few rugby players and send them over. So it'll all balance out nicely in the end. Um, come here, but, but before I, I don't want to pop any scabs here, but uh, you know, I watched the the match with the All Blacks last Saturday. <laughs> Just oh my god, I didn't know anything that was happening. Yeah. I understood about seven of the words, and it was riveting television. Yeah. At least we were there, Ship. At least we were there. Um, come here before before I let you go I know the um, the trade window or the transfer window or whatever it is you want to call it closes um, on Halloween um, you know yeah. that last chance to panic um, I was looking at Aaron yeah. Rodgers um, is there a suggestion that even on one leg they might try and get him back to action he obviously appeared prominently at the sidelines uh, last week you'd wonder is, is this uh, is this going to be a reality or you know or, or, or one of the big franchises going to have to go into the transfer window to try and stock up their quarterback options Look, Damien, they are doing amazing things in medicine today, and I am not a doctor, and I don't even pretend to play one on television, <laughs> but I don't understand how an Achilles, he, a ruptured Achilles heel injury is like a seven-week injury. I, I just don't understand how 
we've gotten, I mean, is he bionic? What did they put in him? I would want to know those types of questions. I do think that the Jets would likely if, and look, give them all props. I mean, they, they could have folded up and just, you know, tanked for Caleb Williams at, at the beginning of the year if they wanted to. They've won some football games. Zach Wilson has been very bad at times, and he's been serviceable at others, but they've got a very good defense. Are they interested maybe in, like, Kirk Cousins, who's the quarterback of the Vikings, who's seen to really be struggling, and he's got a lot of money that is still owed that the Jets could kind of, you know, the, the, the Vikings would pay a majority of it. So um, I think that's a possibility. That seems to be the biggest talking point of the of the um, trade deadline hmm. is what happens to Kirk, to Kirk Cousins, the quarterback in Minnesota. And if they lose, look, they play um, – San Francisco on Monday night. If they lose that game, they go to like one and five, I think. They don't have Justin Jefferson, the best receiver in the league. They may just go ahead and shut it down this year themselves, okay. and they could get Kirk Cousins off their books. Listen, once his arm works, that's all they need. They can protect that ankle once his, or that Achilles once his arm uh, works. Shep, safe travels. Good luck to you tonight. Thanks so much for being with us as always. Appreciate it, Damon. Thanks, That's, buddy. That's uh, Shep with us there from the States. We're going to chat football with Rebecca Cray after the break. Stay with us. Game on on 2FM. And you're very welcome back to the programme. We're going to chat all matters women's football with Rebecca Cray. as with me in the studio. How are you? I'm good, Damon. Congratulations, first and foremost. Shells into the FAI, Women's FAI Cup final. Thankfully, um, yeah. Big win and a little bit of revenge against Shamrock Rovers for the result the previous week. Something like that, yeah. Now, look, it was a, it was a much better week last week compared to the, the previous yeah, and when you've won the cup and when you're the defending champions, it does <laughs> add that little bit of an incentive to go win it again. And it's just—it's funny how we look at it in the men's game, like Bowles and Pats meeting again two years later. Here you find yourself twelve months on another game against that loan, and this is starting to develop into a nice spicy rivalry in one-off games. Yeah, most definitely. I think they're a bit of a thorn in our side at this stage. You know, they—they—they they, they beat us in the Presidents Cup at the start of this season. So look, there's. You know, revenge on on both sides. I I suppose you could say. You know, in terms of obviously they're looking to 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 get one over us on last year, and obviously you know we're trying to get back in after the start of the season. Do you talk about defending a cup, or do you just go with the mindset of winning it all over again? Like, like I I always find it interesting when like you talk to a manager like John Kiley and he refuses to entertain the notion of Limerick winning a four in a row. He talks about we win one, and yeah. then we come back to win it again next year. Yeah, basically, and I think it's only when we do it that we can kind of look back and say this is our third in a row or this is our second in a row or whatever it may be um, you know and I think it's it's a good kind of mindset to have because it kind of you stop getting caught up in that you know complacency I mm. suppose and, and that mindset of going out and going jeez look we, we you know deserved this because we've done it last year but like you know no it's, it's not the case you have to go out and, and try and do it all again yeah from o- fresh Obviously the league is P-mounts after last weekend yeah. do, do, is there a bit of a benefit then I wonder that you can kind of taper into a cup final like you know I remember interviewing Rory Higgins on the pitch at the Aviva last year and he did talk about the fact that you know the league was gone from us for the last couple of weeks and we could build towards this game it's, it's a risky tactic to take yeah, I know. Like with us, it's still still very much you know take it game by game. You know we still have a, a second place position to to grasp. You yeah. know Rovers are are there thereabouts with us, and um, so fully focused on the league when we're we're playing the league. And you know once it comes to cup week, that's when the heads will be down. You know I'm sure you know everyone's human. It's going to be in the back of everyone's heads, and you know there's a little bit of hype around the club of getting organised, getting prepped mm. for for getting there, and you know fans, all that kind of stuff. So look, it's always going to be in the back of everyone's head. But you know I think the girls are are, are at that. 
level now where they're they're well able to, to just switch off when it comes to say game days for for the league still. And the level of drive and the level of ambition and hunger within that dressing room, irrespective. I remember talking to Pearl at the league launch this year, and like there's there's someone who doesn't look back on anything that they've achieved in the game. It's all about the next medal. It's about the next achievement. A hundred percent, and and that's bred into everybody you know ourselves myself you know staff everybody whoever it may be you know we've done nothing this year in our minds you know we, we haven't done and you know it was the same last year until it came to the very end of the, the season you know we haven't done anything until we got to celebrate that double when we, we won the FAI Cup so look everyone's so hungry it's it's never a case that look you're just going out and you know there's, there's girls there 10-12 years playing mm. this league and they're still as fresh as ever you know looking to go and, and win their fourth, fifth six FAI Cup at this stage you know so yeah. um, Just in terms of the league we mentioned obviously Piemont, um like only losing one game all season so far out of 18 drew one lost one won 16 like it's listen even the competitive nature that burns within every other team in the league <laughs> you just have to look at it and think this is a phenomenal side and it, it was interesting for a lot of people that obviously the head-to-head between Piemont and Shells in recent years has been captivating to watch a lot of people wondered or maybe worried Shamrock Rovers with the resources they came in could that distort it somewhat in you know their early seasons back but like you just have to hold your head up to Piemont and say congratulations on a job brilliantly done Amazing look you, you, you can't say anything but that you know they've, they've done really well and, and I, I've reiterated it every time I was on this, this show you know each week was they're enjoying this under the radar kind of status because there's so much kind of you know uh, hype I suppose around Shells Shamrock Rovers with the, the mass exodus let's just say mm. from ourselves you know to go to Rovers obviously I know Anya and Steph left P Mount as well but this just seemed to be you know eclipsed by that and they, and they just love to, to, to just creep in you know in behind and, and, and the likes of you know Karen Duggan obviously held a fourth there they've a really good strong core group still there with Nevery Burke obviously in goals Sive Doyle had a phenomenal season as did Aaron McLaughlin yeah. so look they they done really well and, and all credit to them and, and, and James I think the traditionalists will be delighted to see it was Piemont and Shells going head to head but listen Rovers Day will come no doubt um, big week for Eileen Gleeson I, I was chatting to you during the ad break I've been really impressed with how Eileen has gone about this that there's no sense of like a caretaker manager or an interim manager can come in and go I'll tell you what now I'm not going to upset the apple cart I'm just going to come in oh. I'll stick with largely the squad that was there like she sent a farewell message to the players during the week like I'm not entertaining the notion of complacency we've won two games we've done nothing and qualification for our next major tournament could yep. largely depend on this Nations League like all the messaging I think has been spot on exactly like she could easily come in and just go through the motions you know and, and just see it through and, and, and get them over you know the, the, the two games or whatever it may be but look she's coming in to make some changes obviously with, with Megan Campbell coming back in which is, is fantastic to see you know since her, her signing for for Everton and um, obviously you know you've, you've got Tyler Toll and she seems to have you know caught their eye which was a really big call to come back in because mm. like listen people who followed the women's game will know of the the back and forth between Tyler Tolan's father, admittedly, and Vera Pau. And like it brought a lot of focus on Eileen that opening game to bring her back in. And then like Tyler Tolan backed it up with the performance against Northern Ireland. But yep. again, the easy thing to do would have been tell you what now I'll kick that down the road and let the next permanent manager worry about it exactly like I think it was a, it was a huge statement to make you know obviously there was a lot of hype before that with the likes of Vera and, and the dad and whatever happened there but you know to, to bring her back in and for her to perform how she did and, and get a player of the match performance in that game you know it was it was definitely a huge one and a huge call and look it stood to her um, mm. you know and obviously you know Ireland's brought in the likes of Jamie Finn again and, and Sinead Farley has slipped back in there as well so yeah. it'll be interesting to see um, how they go Aaron McLaughlin back in as well yeah. 
Um, and, and even like Marissa Shiva, I think is the headline absentee. Obviously, like Savannah McCarthy, Ava Mahoney, Megan Walsh all might have expected to be in the mm. squad as well. But again, you can stand over it and say if a player's not playing regular football, it's difficult to force your way How into that you? squad. Yeah. yeah and, but, but then I suppose the counter argument is if you bring Megan back in, who's only returning to fitness, but she doesn't have anything to prove in exactly. Jersey. Exactly, you know, she, she's done her, her stint in, over the years and obviously, you know, she's at a level now where she can come in and hopefully compete, you know, and, and stay fit. That's the main thing. I think she's still got a bit to offer. Um, You know, she's still quite young um, in terms of football. But uh, yeah, look, when she stays fit, she can give a, be a great asset to, to Ireland. And we look at the, the table, it's great to see Ireland um, flying high in the Nations League. And like, this is such a great opportunity for this squad to, I, I don't necessarily say breathe confidence back into things because I'm not sure if that needs to to be the case but it's a great opportunity to put a run of form together and you know just like get back re- to football re- refocus yeah. well yeah you've hit the nail on that basically yeah. you know it's great to see you're looking at that table there you know Republic of Ireland at the top of a group um, this is something we don't often see but um, yeah look just get back to the pitch matters and, and you know fo- fully focusing on that I know the, the girls really enjoyed the previous camps they've been in the, the last month or two and look I'm sure they'll be, they'll be chomping at the bit to get back in here again to, to go and, and, and try and get results Tala presumably will be hopping for that game um, no doubt yeah. it's what tomorrow week so um, yes. and again we look at Albania uh, drew at home to Hungary in the opening game uh, beaten by Northern Ireland in Belfast in their second game Th- this double header of games uh, home and away inside four days like it is completely justifiable for us to be talking about a desire for six points completely yeah we have to that has to be the aim and I, I know for sure it will be you know the girls will be going in looking for, for the three points at home you know first of all and, and obviously away then again so look it'll be interesting to see how they how they shape up and, and you know um, how they set up and it'll be interesting obviously to see if Megan Campbell gets a, a chance back in there at some point I don't know if she's at that level just yet but uh, and obviously Sinead, Sinead Farley as well you know we'll see how she fares in, in, in terms of the, the interim management right. there as well thank you very much for your company no, thank Rebecca you. Cray with us uh, in studio time for us to make way for Betta who's on the way after 7 o'clock Jenny's here after 9 Laurie Davis our broadcast coordinator Ronan Lawler produced from Damien O'Mara till tomorrow night at 6 Good night.